think about yourself when you wake up every day and you do your daily tasks. What's one limitation that prevents you from those tasks? Is it the idea of perfection? Is it the lack of confidence, maybe? When you think about these things, you can think about the fact that we are all differently able. No matter what it is, we all have some self-perceived parameter put in place, not just the inability to move with your own legs or see with your own eyes. We all have limitations. Today's guest is an advocate for the differently abled community. Her own diagnosis of debilitating multiple sclerosis and her inability to get work after this diagnosis spurred her to fight for a broader, more open view of our differences, handicaps, and challenges. Stay tuned for a discussion on the power of individuality and how we are unique, beautiful, and indispensable no matter what we are dealing with. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee. And I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. Chantelle Sumis, a top LinkedIn creator with over 30,000 organic followers in one year, is also the founder and creative director of Stardust Creative LLC, a brand agency focused on embracing differences through personal and corporate branding. She's spoken at VidCon as one of the first LinkedIn video creators, as well as at an international conference in LA, one in London, one in Dallas, and even more. As an advocate for the differently abled community, Chantel spreads awareness, hope, and inspiration to those around the world fighting for acceptance by sharing the hidden struggles of differently abled people in the community. By administering an attitude of gratitude, Chantel has overcome severe obstacles and spends a substantial portion of her time coaching others to accept and believe in themselves and to treat one another with dignity and value, recognizing we are all brothers and sisters of the human race. We are all part of the same story. Chantel, welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Thanks so much, Lori. Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to chat with you. I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time now. Beautiful. Even better. Fabulous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are so many big things to say about this. And this isn't a topic that we've had on the podcast before. And I think it's one that we need to be reminded of because we so often get into our just our regular routines. And, you know, if somebody with disabilities, if we run into them, you know, we're not sure how to act. Or sometimes when we feel like, you know, we're dealing with a disability or something around us, then we feel super self-conscious of it. So I think it's worth this conversation about really just the normalization of how we all have different things we're dealing with and we all need to respect and love and support one another on that path in the big picture. Oh, absolutely. I love the way that you messaged that. It's so important. And it's something you don't ever think about unless you're reminded or, you know, somebody unfortunately in your family comes down with something that debilitates them and you see that perspective firsthand. So thank you. I really appreciate welcoming me for the conversation. You bet. So let's start out with your story. Who were you before your diagnosis? And is your diagnosis where this community change and action started for you? Oh my gosh. 
before my diagnosis, I was a mess, a mess, Lori. If you met me before, you know, so it, it kind of all started when I really got sick was through an unplanned pregnancy. I was married, newly married. We had a house and we were very young. So we decided, you know, we were just going to have fun and party and just live life. He was in a motorcycle club. So it was, it said a lot about our culture and our lifestyle. And I did not have one empathetic bone in my body. I wouldn't know what empathy was if it jumped out in front of me. So it was really, my relationships weren't deep at all. I didn't have any friends. I was always, I grew up getting bullied and pushed around and stuff by my older brothers and toughened up. You know, people would yell clear soul at me, which is a, a popular acne medication because I had acne. And it toughened me up. You know, I may, I was very much of a class clown because I hid my depression and anxiety that it caused being bullied and, and pushed around a little bit. And in fact, it even, you know, caused me to be that bully because I didn't want to be picked on. So maybe I'd pick on somebody. And it was so disgusting. That behavior was just repulsive. And it wasn't until, you know, I had been through adversity before. Don't get me wrong. You know, I had been through some super unfortunate situations as a little girl, which kind of made me close up and shut my bubbly, happy self down thinking that I was drawing attention because I was happy and bubbly. Because in my teens, I would open back up again as soon as I felt comfortable and be giggly and flirty. And it wasn't flirty. It was just me being kind. And people took that the wrong way. And unfortunately, again, another unfortunate circumstance. Then, you know, it was me getting really sick after my pregnancy. Three weeks after I had my son, I had to return to work. And not just one job, making 40 hours a week. This was my second job as well as a bridal consultant working 80 hours a week to provide for my family. Because wow. my husband was laid off for the south of the winter. He is a brick mason. And in the state of Wisconsin, you don't work during the cold winters. And... It was brutal and my body started to wither away. I lost my vision and I accepted a career that I thought was going to be a great shift, but everything with that new career fell through and I was jobless and I didn't have insurance, so I couldn't get diagnosed. Then it escalated to me not being able to move my legs and then not being able to feel my feet and my hands. And then my hearing started to go. And then my bladder and my bowels just decided to do their own thing. And I was here 25 years old and I was wearing adult diapers. You had lost your sight and your hearing? So I lost my sight first in one eye, my left eye, which is still permanently damaged to this day. There's likely a bit of ever re getting recovered is basically zero, but I don't like to listen to doctors. You know, there's so many other options out there. So, but then it, it did affect my other eye, which is super rare for optic neuritis. And then my hearing started to go a little bit later and it was just, everything was so muffled and it still is kind of damaged to this day where I really need to focus on reading lips with my one good eye in order to clearly understand what they're saying. But so wow. the, the person I was before was a mess, Lori. <laughs> that's, that's some huge stuff coming down on you. That's like your whole body giving up. Oh, yeah. And it was devastating. I was devastated. I mean, the, the depression and the anxiety I had before was nothing compared to this. And I thought that was my low of my low of my low. And it couldn't get any worse than that. But it did. And I really do think that no matter what, things could always be worse. 
no matter how bad we have it or how sad we are, it could always get worse, which is why we should be thankful, right? For everything. Absolutely. It sounds like the diagnosis, well, how did you get the diagnosis? But it sounds like this path that you went on was kind of designed for you to learn the things you needed to learn about empathy and understanding because boy, did you do a 180 degree turn there. Oh, 100%. It, it really was. It was bananas. You know, I was crawling from my kitchen to warm up a bottle to get to feed my son. And I remember just losing it thinking, what the hell am I doing here? You know, I'm, I'm, I can't even be a good mom to care for my kid. I can't even be a good wife because my poor husband's like, what do I do? He can't do anything. So he feels hopeless. And it's just a cycle of like, I don't even belong here. Why am I even trying? And I remember calling the hospital and saying like, I need hope. I, this MS is incurable. It's an incurable, basically cancer of the nervous system that can't be reversed right now. And it affects everybody differently. So for me, there was this unpredictability that I would never get better. And that I couldn't handle. I cannot handle unpredictability. I need control, right? So So many of us do. And I think one of the main things we have to learn is how to be comfortable with uncertainty because we all have to do that in order to function. Oh, so true. And giving up that control, especially as a type A personality is like making a huge shift. And like I said, I I called the hospital and I said, I need a cure. Like, I just need something. I need hope. Give me, you know, if, if I need to be on vitamin D, tell me that and I'll do that. I just need hope. And they said, you know what, Chantal, you sound desperate right now. And we really suggest that you admit yourself. And right then was the moment that I was like, wow, this is... I'm desperate. This is not me. This is not how I should live. And so, of course, what does a 25-year-old do? She calls mom (laughs) when she's desperate. And my mom answered and she said, Chantal, just sleep. I need you to go to bed and I need you to rest until you can't rest anymore. We'll take care of the baby. We'll take care of the dogs. We'll take care of the house, the dishes, the laundry, all that stuff that you're freaking out about in between jobs. And you just rest. And that was the best advice she's ever given me. Yeah, I good woke up call mom. Yeah, right. She's a smart lady. <laughs> so you said each element of adversity would prepare me for the fight of my life. And it sounds like you've mentioned some of these elements of adversity that you went through before. But do you want to share how they prepared you for this fight? Because I'm assuming this fight with MS is the fight of your life. Is that correct? Oh, yes, it really is. Growing up, you know, I I was a victim of, I hate saying victim because I I hate that, but I was a victim, I guess, of of sexual assault when I was very, very, very young. And I never told my parents because I knew it would break their heart. And so I hid this inside of me for so long and then, you know, questioned everything around me, thinking that it was always me. It was my fault. You know, I'm this disgusting piece of, you know, a target. I keep saying, you know, like, you know, but it's such a stupid thing to say. And then, you know, I, <laughs> in high school, I dated the wrong guys who treated me terribly. There was abusive relationships emotionally and physically. And then I was engaged at 19 and I flew to Italy to be with him because we went to high school together. And that's where he was stationed in the Navy. And I found out that he had another fiance in Texas and who had already bought her wedding dress. Whoa, ouch. Yeah, so, and then it didn't stop there. You know, he got out of the military and it was one of those, if I can't have you, nobody can. So he tried to take my life a time or two until I got him behind bars. So yeah, there's all of these little sprinkles of adversity that at the time, you know, when my heart was broken and I was 
deserted overseas, I thought that was it. I got home and I wouldn't leave my house. I wouldn't brush my teeth. I didn't shower for two weeks until my girlfriends dragged me out. Those are not little sprinkles. Those are big ones. Those are, you know, so many times the things that happen to us, we make them through. And in hindsight, we're like, yeah, I was raped and I was abused. And, you know, and it becomes this bullet point list of things that happened. But when you're in that fight for your life, when you're trying to emotionally and mentally survive something that's horrifying and heartbreak definitely falls into that because nothing engages us more deeply than when we fully give our heart to someone and we're having to recover from those broken hopes and broken relationships. Those are the deep, dark places. And we do learn so much in those places. It it creates who we are moving forward. And so how did those spaces prepare you for the battle with multiple sclerosis? It taught me so much about strength. And it also taught me so much about the fact that we can't control everything around us. Some things we just can't control. We put ourselves out there to be vulnerable, to love somebody in the sense that they might not love us back someday. They might not appreciate us someday. And they might be keeping things from us and lying. And we put ourselves out there with the best of hopes and spirits. And it's challenging with with my diagnosis to accept that. The fact that my body has a mind of its own. And no matter what I do, no matter what the drugs I put in it, the chemotherapy treatments, the infusions that I would receive that made me blow up like a balloon, gaining 50 pounds, all of that is just beyond my control. So it's just time to surrender. And I'm really still learning to surrender to my body and my health in the fact that no matter what I do with diet and exercise, if I can, it's not going to be everything. It's not going to reverse these things. This is just me and who I am. And and the only thing I can do that nobody else can ever take from me. And again, you know, learning from sexual assaults to a really terrible heartbreak, it's that people can take everything from you. They can take your things. They can take your body even, but they can never take your brain and that beautiful, beautiful perspective that you have in that, that brain of yours or your education and your knowledge. Nobody can ever take that from you. And that's what made me hold on is that just learning as much as I can about the illness and about alternative medicine and about surrounding myself with a community. You realize that those things you just said are, you're preaching the same thing that Viktor Frankl did. <laughs> Do you know man's no. for meaning? No, oh. no. <laughs> okay. You have to, because this is a classic read. He was in the in a concentration camp and he was a trained psychologist, but he was one of them that survived. And he just very much takes you through that whole thing of how they will take People can take everything from you. They can take your clothing, your family, you know, your humanity, your dignity, your clothes, the feelings out of your feelings out of your teeth. Yeah, I mean, they can literally take everything from you. But the one thing they cannot take is the choice inside your own mind of how to deal with it. Beautiful. Yes. Oh my goodness. I can't believe I haven't read that yet. I need to read this book. (laughs) I can't either. Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl. Okay. Oh, that's beautiful. 
Yeah. yeah. You'll love it. Uh, you know, it's, it's so weird to talk about these things because gosh, it's, it feels like a nightmare that was just clouded in smoke. And the fact that I'm here today and have this, people look at me, right? I'm, I'm this blonde, bubbly thing. They think, oh, what can I learn from her that I don't already know? Or Yeah, you're um, absolutely darling. You're really beautiful. <laughs> Or, you know, she hasn't had a lick of adversity in her life with how happy she is. And it, it really is a choice. It really is a choice to be happy and be just positive. Oh, well, and you are exemplifying that extremely well, because when people come to understand all of the things that you've been through and are still going through on a daily basis, and yet you can create these videos and lead these conferences and talk on podcasts and, you know, be this influencer that you are, you can't do that if you're coming from a place of small-mindedness or living small or negative or dark. And um, you're a beautiful example of being able to make the choice to create a life on purpose of positivity and finding the meaning behind the things that happen to you. Oh, thank you. That means so much. It's definitely not... If, if you would have spoken to me five years ago, six years ago, when I was that <laughs> crazy, weird mess of a human, I would never expect me to be where I am today, for sure. I was talking with Margaret Maloney in one of the past interviews. She's the author of Carpooling with Death. And this is so interesting because as we were talking, she was, or it struck me, this idea of uncertainty, the uncertainty of life. And we kind of have this fairness thing in our heads where we think that it's fair that everybody should live to be zero to 80 plus, right? And if somebody doesn't live that long, then it was a life cut short or, you know, it was so unfair that they didn't. And when I picture myself, like how much time I have ahead of me, you know, we picture us in our 40s and our 50s and our 60s and we retire and then we have our nice long retirement. And that's how we picture ourselves living a life. But the reality is no one was ever promised that. No one was ever even promised one more day than what they have right now. And it really struck me when I was talking to her that this uncertainty, the uncertainty of being alive is absolutely crucial to reminding us to live intentional because nowhere, in fact, most of the people that have lived on the planet have not lived to 80 plus years. You know, mm -hmm. it's right. just if you happen to get that long of a life, awesome. If you don't, then, you know, it's kind of par for the course. Everybody, you know, some get weeks, some get months, some get a few years, some get more years, some get the whole shebang. But there's nowhere that it was promised or that we should even expect that. That becomes really important of enjoying the time that you have and living well and learning and moving forward actively and living happy and choosing to be happy. Oh, that's beautiful. It, it really, really is so uncertain what's going to happen, you know, 10 minutes from now. It's, yeah. it's all a question mark. So what are you doing with what you've learned? Meaning you have a particular message that you want people to understand. Can you tell us a little about that? Of course. Well, when I was unemployed, I with multiple, you know, disabilities, I still couldn't see. I still can't see out of my left eye very well and I have a few other conditions that make things very difficult for me on a daily basis. So, when I had to apply for jobs, I now found myself filling out this equal opportunity employer survey at the beginning of every application that asked me if I had a disability and I had to check that stupid 
checkbox. And every single time I checked that stupid checkbox, I never got a call back ever. In fact, the only time that I actually got a interview was through word of mouth conversations with recruiters. So that made me disgusted. I remember going to my community, my my multiple sclerosis support group. And I said, Hey, everybody, this is my situation. I don't know if I should apply for jobs and check this box or if I should just lie and not check it or if I should just give up. I have A, B, C, and D symptoms that have not gone away. What should I do? And the overwhelming response was just give up. They said, give up and apply for Social Security because it'll take you three years to get accepted. And that to me was the ultimate gut punch. Like, really? I'm 25 years old and you want me to just sit in my house for the rest of my life? Because society doesn't accept this? It's so weird. So then I started to talk about it on social media. And that's when my following exploded. People didn't know about this hidden battle of people with hidden illness. Because if you look at me, you can't tell that I can't feel my hands and feet. You can't tell that I can't see out of one eye. And just parking in a handicapped spot, if I need to make a quick run and I can't move my right leg, people say, oh, you're too healthy to park there. You need to move your car. That's handicapped. So it's it's really, there's so much unconscious bias that happens where people just get too pigeonholed in their own thoughts, Mm -hmm. which is a shame because when we open up and connect and share our stories, magic happens. And so that's what I really found was the need is that one, we are stubborn as hell as humans that we don't want to be vulnerable and we don't want to share these struggles that we have. And if I can be a voice for just a couple people who are too afraid to share their story, I'm happy to put shame aside and tell people that, yeah, I crapped my pants a couple times because of my body just going against me. Or whenever I exercise, I go completely blind from a pseudo relapse. So I I have to kind of just chill out until my heart rate goes back down. Mm. These things that people don't see or hear or feel, but it makes us human. And everybody has a limitation. Everybody has a weakness. And that's what makes us so beautiful as humans is that's diversity. Diversity is people going through crap, hell and back. And understanding that everybody has weaknesses and those strengths and that adversity brings superpowers to the table. That's great. I absolutely love that because I believe that. I mean, I'm a firm believer in the beauty of the diverse and the varied because it's those colors and the textures in each of us that make us who we are and that help us do what it is that we need to do. And by that, I mean, I really want to drive that home. Who we are with all of our column flaws or whatever you want, handicaps, disabilities. And oftentimes they're just things that we perceive that way, right? Like I, I can share an example of that, but those things that are whole monochromatic, are, it's not monochromatic, our whole color scheme, everything about us, the good and the bad is perfect for who it is that we need to be and what it is we need to do. And I'll share this experience. And I shared this in an earlier episode, but I was at a conference this past year. And it was one of the things that I had often acknowledged as a flaw in me. I get told that I'm strong and that I'm opinionated and that, I, that I'm too confident. And you know, I get that kind of feedback and I always have my whole life. And part of it is, well... And over and over, I hear that I intimidate people. And so pretty soon it becomes to where I start thinking that that's something that I need to, you know, 
temper that in order for people to feel comfortable or in order for people to not feel like I'm rough around the edges. And and it becomes something that I start seeing as a flaw. Well, I was at that conference and it struck me that I am exactly who I need to be in order to accomplish what I need to accomplish in this life. And if it requires my strength and my confidence and my even tactlessness, if it requires that whole bundle of things that make me the forthright person that I am to do what I need to do while I'm here, well, then damn it, that's not a weakness. Like that's the superpower that's helping me push through all the crap I've had to push through. That's the superpower that's helping me be who I need to be and accomplish what I need to accomplish. And that makes those things very important. Oh, that's so true. And it's, it's crazy when these, these people give you this, this feedback, right? And you, and you try to reflect it and make work of it. But that's you. You're, you're the only you in the entire universe. So having a different personality is fantastic. I don't see why that should be an issue, right? <laughs> well, and everybody doesn't have to like you. You know, I've also yes. come to that of I have many friends and people who appreciate and love me and those that's my tribe those are my people and if you don't then that's okay too you know you go and be with your people and your tribe and that's absolutely fine but i think we all need to and you know all of the listeners there's always that space where it's like oh this is something that's wrong with me well maybe it's not maybe there's nothing wrong with you maybe the thing that you think is the weakness is actually exactly who you need to be to learn what you need to learn and to accomplish what you need to accomplish think about that right absolutely So I'm a believer in that beauty of the diverse. So go ahead. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's something that when I was trying to figure out how to market myself and sell myself as a valuable asset to any company to really highlight my strengths, but also talk about my weaknesses, to talk about the fact that I have these certain elements in my life that make me better than the average candidate. But you wouldn't know unless you thought about it. For instance, when I can't see out of my eye, I work to design things. I'm very creative in marketing. And so I work actively in designing and writing copy. And people could think, oh, she only has one eye. So she probably is half as accurate when it comes to these things. But that couldn't be further from the truth. I have this this immaculate sense of gratitude for color and shapes and hard edges because I went so long without seeing them. Every day when I leave the house, I look at the sky and I feel kind of kooky for talking about it or, or even doing it. But every day the sky is different. The clouds are different shades of gray or the sky with the sun coming up has pink and, and purple and looks like cotton candy. And it gives you the sense of magic. And that's exactly what I feel like life should be. It's just magic every day. So... Talking about these things as superpowers and strengths instead of potential weaknesses is, is really the, the beauty of diversity. And what we really need to do instead of talking about diversity is talk more about inclusion and what we can do as people, as professionals and leaders and executives and how to build these inclusive environments to make people feel welcome and loved and involved. Because like you said at the beginning of the show, there are so many people with disabilities that just get shunned. They, they kind of get 
just turned away from life because people don't know how to act. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to treat them because it's it's not familiar to them. And the only way to get through that unconscious or conscious bias and, and judgment is to just talk just like they're your brother or your sister, just like they're your friend that you've known your whole life. They're no different. You know, I think the inclusive mindset is where it has to start, which is an openness and a willingness to listen and understand people beyond our own experiences. And is that what you promote when you're working in these community capacities for increasing tolerance? Yes, absolutely. Innovation needs, it requires inclusion. If you have one final message to sort of tie up and share, what is the message that you feel is most important for people to understand? The most important message is that everybody has some form of limitation and the darkest, deepest, scariest pieces of that is people who look completely normal. Mental health, I believe, is the biggest epidemic in the world right now. People are lonelier than ever and we really need to be easier and more welcoming and accepting of everybody around us. That's the only way we're going to cure this epidemic is if we build deeper relationships and human connection with everybody, not just people who look like us. The more that I study on this particular topic, the more I absolutely agree with that. I think that connection, our, our oneness, our wholeness, that that's what so many of us are missing. That's where those, where the deep mental illnesses are stemming from is this space of feeling disconnected, feeling alienated, and feeling not feeling the community that used to be available to us. And that that seclusion is part of what's causing the problem. So I couldn't agree more. Yeah, It's so weird that we are building this technology to connect with each other, but we're growing further apart. And it really requires that community building in person and online and just welcoming your, your opening your heart up, being just a little bit more vulnerable than you think you may, because that's when the magic happens and you let people in and you learn so much. Are you familiar with Sarah Vowell? She has the book, Take the Cannoli. No, but I love cannolis. (laughs) (laughs) That's a start. (laughs) She said, we are flawed creatures, all of us. Some of us think that that means we should fix our flaws. But if you get rid of my flaws, then there would be no one left. I love it when she says that because it just is this great iteration of humanness that really, you know, we are this wonderful collage of all kinds of things, you know, and some of those things are messy and some of those things are neat, but they're all really beautiful in their own way and sense. And if we could accept ourselves, which I also think is a first really crucial step, you know what, let the self-criticism go and start with self-acceptance and self-love, then we are going to be much more effective when we try to reach out and accept other people. You said something earlier in your introduction about how when you were a youth and you were attacked for and bullied, that, you know, then that triggered in you the need to bully other people. Well, Mm -hmm. when we get to that space where we can love who we are, then that's the space where we can actually listen and love other people. So, the very first step is 
accepting all of you, Mm -hmm. accepting everything that you are, the things even that you perceive as flaws and realizing, you know, maybe there's nothing wrong with you. What if that was true? Oh my gosh. What (laughs) What a theory. My goodness. (laughs) You said it. Then reaching out and listening to the people around you and and relinquishing judgment. You know, Gabby Bernstein's book, um, Judgment Detox, this idea that when we are judging, we are separating ourselves from love. Like we are, and by separating ourselves from love, we're separating ourselves from other people, from that community that we've talked about is so important, right? So when we return to love, then we return to our oneness with each other and we relinquish that judgment. And, you know, and that's the space of that you're talking about and that you're promoting is let's listen to each other. Let's accept each other. Let's help each other through and past whatever handicaps we each individually have so that we can all get higher. You know, it's that stronger with community. Right. And I feel very strongly in that self-love portion because when I reflect on how damaged I was before being a good person, I want to say, is that I hated myself. I hated the skin I was wearing, the way I look, the people who ever touched me. I hated every single thing about it. And I also felt like I didn't deserve self-love. I didn't deserve it. And I know there's so many other people out there that feel so similar in the sense that Maybe they feel like they just don't deserve happiness, joy, or love. So many people feel that way. And what you've just explained is something that I hear over and over. So how did you get past that? How did you get past that space of self-loathing? Ooh, I hit rock bottom. I mean, when you seriously feel like you are completely worthless because you can't see, walk, hear, or hold in your own pee, like it's just, you're a mess. And I found my anchor, I guess. And my anchor was my little boy and learning that I'm here for him because I need to be a strong mother for him. And then I need to be a strong wife for the man that I love so much. And then my, my parents as well, seeing their hearts break because I was breaking visibly inside and out. You know, when I'm happy, they are so happy. And that's what means more to me than anything in the world is making them happy and strong and laugh. And that's my anchor. How did that create self-love for you, though? Because that transition from self-loathing to self-love and enlightenment is a really strong transition. I mean, that's a big, big switch. And to genuinely make that is no small thing. Tell me if I'm wrong here, but I don't know if just finding an anchor anchor helps you to love yourself. Like, how did you how did you come to figure out your own self-worth? Oh, it was so much work, Lori. I'm still working on it, to be honest with you. I studied neuroplasticity, which is a massive game changer for me because that's the study of your brain basically rewiring itself to overcome amazing things. And I really was a negative person. I was in this loathing, this disgusting phase of darkness where it was torment. Every day was torture. And looking around, basically the neuroplasticity was thought transforming. So every single thought that I had, I had to think if it was negative, I had to think about two positives or I had to change that negative into a positive and find every single tiny silver lining. Even if the only thing that was good about that situation or that thought 
was learning from it. But I really had to soak that in and absorb the fact that it was a lesson learned. And that's magic, you know? So I think no matter what, it's all about an active choice of your thought process. And if you're going to make a good out of a bad, because no matter what, really figuring out all of this and seeing the positives out of every single teeny tiny negative thing, because there's billions of tiny negative things, right? Uh If we want to see it. But there's also like 5 billion positives to every 1 billion negatives. So it's, um, it's always a positive. There's always a choice to be happy. There's always hope no matter what. Fantastic. The fact that there is always choice is something that we just can't remind ourselves of enough. There's always a choice in any situation. Just imparting, what do you think is the key to loving ourselves? Oh, that's a good question. Lori Lee. Oh, I think the secret sauce to self-love is really self-reflection and understanding how special each one of us is. Again, there's only one of us in the entire universe with our exact same story. Unless there's a parallel universe out there somewhere. Whatever. Forget that, right? (laughs) We are so special. And the fact that there's opportunity for connection, for changing lives, for touching just one heart with our stories and our smile is magnetic. It makes you want to be a better person, a stronger person, not just for yourself and self-love, but for the people around you and finding that anchor. So yeah, I really think it's just reminding yourself how magical you really are. And finding those positives to reinforce that every day, every minute. (laughs) Chantel, thank you for being with us on the Love Your Story podcast, for sharing your story and your growth. You know, what you've done is tremendous work and tremendous growth through some really big battles, mental, physical, and to share your story is to share an example of what that looks like so that others can do that and pattern after that when they get stuck in those same spaces. Thank you for sharing it. Yes, thank you. And if anybody listening needs that extra jab of hope or they just need somebody to talk to, they can reach out to me anytime. I'd be happy to be there. So I will have your contact information in the show notes, but can you tell them how they can get a hold of you? Absolutely. Definitely on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is my number one platform of choice for professional engagement, as well as www.chantelsumis.com. That's how you can reach me and learn more about what I talk about and who I am. Awesome. Thank you for being here. Bless you. (laughs) As I thought about my conversation with Chantel and this idea of treating one another with dignity and value and the importance of inclusivity, my mind ran in a couple different directions. The first is that in some ways we are doing so much better. This idea of treating one another with dignity and value seems in some ways to be the push of our generation, that continued fight for women having a voice through the Me Too movement and the enormous amount of attention to the Pride movement. You know, lots of digital movements that have been put in place as well for minority groups seeking this inclusivity and open-mindedness. And on the other hand, I look at this idea that Chantelle and I discussed about mental illness, the increase of it, the epidemic of it at this time with the separation and the stress and the anxiety and the depression and the solitude that comes from living in communities that are often so segregated and separated because we don't gather the ways that we used to. And so much communication is simply done through um, digital means. So 
gosh, I'm, I'm seeing both sides of the coin. And, it, you know, it's always a complex issue. But I think like any issue, it comes down to our daily actions and our mindsets. And individually, if we each check where we are at and look at the way that we are treating others with dignity and value, that that's where the real changes begin. Chantel's experiences have led her to fight for the differently abled community and their struggles for acceptance. Anytime we read a story or watch a movie where dignity and value are imparted to other characters, it is the hero, the championed cause, the good guy who is doing this, who is giving this kind of fair treatment. And, you know, really, when dignity and value are restored to someone from whom it's been taken, gosh, we cheer and we cry and we're inspired. Your challenge this week is to consider the idea of dignity and value in all that you come across this week. Just be aware. Are there mindsets that need to shift? Are there ways that you can be more considerate of people with disabilities? Are there openings and things that you can do to support and be that hero? Do what heroes do. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Love Your Story podcast. And I hope it's given you a couple of things to think about in how to create your best life story going forward. Don't forget the Love Your Story website, loveyourstorypodcast.com, where you can listen to and share all the past episodes. You'll also have access to buy your own Love Your Story t-shirts or to buy my new book that's trending and creating lots of fun out there, The Life Living Intentional and Fearless Every Day, the 21 Life Connection Challenges. If you haven't got your copy yet, get one for you and your best friends and start doing it as a group. Jump on the bandwagon with the other people that are creating these great life experiences through these fun challenges. And have a great week. We'll see you next week. 